0: Hey, they own it over there. Thank you. I appreciate y'all for uh, welcoming me in such a loving way. I always feel like I'm home when I'm speaking with uh, my brother, Pastor David. Um, We—he—he he came up here and said some things about me, and I'm honored. But talk about—I um, don't want to use the word jealous, but goodness gracious, the—the—the the, the faith that's in this man, the—and I mean, it comes out in a form of peace. Whenever I'm with him. I, I see God bigger. I see the possibilities. I see that the, the troubles are not going to overwhelm me. Whenever I'm with him, I'm encouraged, and that's my, that's my dear brother, and I'm glad to be able to come into this place with you all. Uh, speaking about Father's Day, first of all, let me echo that. Happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, but my goodness, how cool is it that we all got the same father? How cool is that, that we get to be one body? And I love that. I love that. And so, I, I, I I'll say that, Ms. Jones, thank you for allowing me to come here as well. Thank you for loaning me, your husband, from time to time. Um, and I know that there have been times, you guys don't understand, like, I'm able to live my life better because of the influence of your pastor. I'm able to serve where I serve better. That starts with my home and then my community, the church that I work at. There are times when I just know I wouldn't have been okay <laughs> on this day, if I hadn't had that conversation, got that timely text, that prayer from my brother David. And I just wanted to thank you. And that's why it was like easy. Okay, yeah, I'm coming. He said, would you come? I said, yes, of course I'll come. Uh, And it's my pleasure to be here. I don't come today um, alone, even though my family's not here yet. I carry them with me. I also come with the blessing of Hope Community Church. um, And we are really excited about the Big C Church and what God is doing in this area, and we know that uh, it will continue until Jesus comes back to the glory of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so I bring greetings from Hope as well. Uh, My wife, Tasha, and some of my family members, I believe, will be here um, in the 11 o'clock service. We actually celebrated some great things this week. My my daughter, Nia, graduated fifth grade, and praise the Lord, she was uh, over there um, at uh, Bryan Road and then my older son, Leo, my oldest son, I have four children, so from 7 to 18, my oldest just graduated high school from South Garner, and uh, we had a lot of family. We had family come from California, New Jersey, Georgia, all over the place, Philadelphia, and we just had us a blast for the last four days, but I'm exhausted, y'all. I'm going, I'm, listen, I'm going on spirit power today, um, but the beautiful thing is... Um, we, we were together and we were celebrating a story. If y'all understood the story of, of, I'm so proud of my son. I'm so, so proud of my son. And if, if the, in another day, uh, maybe he'll share his story. Maybe he'll give me permission to share some of his story. But um, God has just been moving in his life. You know, he's, he's a, a masterpiece in the making, right? That's all right. I was, I'm just going to ask you to do something old school. Turn to somebody near you and say, I believe you are a masterpiece in the making. The master's still doing his work. And so we took some time to celebrate uh, as a family. But right now, there are some folks going out to the airport, and there are some folks coming in, and there were some flights that were delayed. And so that's why I say I believe my family is going to make it. Um, But if not, then they're with me in heart. Um, It it is Father's Day, and so while I've got my boys and my girls, they're going to love on me a little later. My father is in town from Philadelphia, and that means a lot to me. That means a ton, and, and he, uh, he's very proud of me, uh, and I'm very proud of him. I'm very he is a big answer to prayer, and there was definitely a time where I would have said nothing close to that. There was a, definitely a time where if I said anything about him, um, there would have been some um, overdub beeps, you know, like on the radio, or a little some scratchers, you know, because I couldn't say those things in front of folks. But, like, uh, we, we've, we've come a long way, and it's really the work of the Lord. Today we celebrate a family that um, has a redemptive story in Christ. I'm going to tell you real briefly, there was a, most of my time growing up as a kid, there was not any members of my family who were walking with Jesus, uh, even in a go-to-church kind of way, just like no kind, of, no kind of faith. In fact, opposite of faith. Like, hey, don't follow Jesus was what I was basically taught. And now every single member of my family walks with Jesus, and God is good. Somebody go ahead and put your hands together. Um, and so, today, I wanted to introduce myself to you in a, uh, in a cool way. Uh, as a preacher, it's not my job right now to be a preacher um, at my, where I work at Hope. I, I used to preach probably three or four times a week. I went to one of those churches that had a lot of services uh, when I first went into ministry. And uh, between being a youth minister and a college pastor, like, I did a lot of preaching. And then I moved into a different role where I was the lead pastor of a church, and I did a lot of preaching. But for the last eight or nine years, it hasn't really been um, primary to my role, though I, I go and do it every so often a couple times a year. But I'll, I'll say this. It always means a lot to speak the Word of God. Uh, it's, it's very humbling. It's not something that I take lightly. Um, I don't intend today to be super cute. I don't intend to, for you to just love me. I hope that we engage with each other well. We are family. But at the end of the day, it's that, that you hear something from God's Word that is life-changing that you hear something that gives you the encouragement and the direction and the empowerment by his spirit through the word to move forward in the way that He's called us to. That's the reason I'm here. I'm here because your pastor is a, is a, is a, a faithful servant, and when he says in respect to the Lord, when he says in obedience, I'm going to take a breath, I want to come in, and I don't want to get to the plate and just strike out. So I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me give a word to your people. So I'm going to sing to you a little something. Actually, I'm not going to sing. I'm going to rap it to you. But this is a little prayer that I always say to the Lord. I only want what you give. You only ask what I have. I give you all that I am. You make me all I can be. Your love is all I can see. Your words been talking to me. Your son is walking with me. Your spirit's all up in me. I want to do what you ask. You know I'm up for the task, but Lord, my strength, it won't last unless you're helping me fast. I hope I'm getting with you, your presence surely would do. Think how much more we could do, and all the glory's for you. So my life is in your hands. I give you all that I am, Lord. I'm your man and what you want me to do, Pops, that's all I'm about. And if you're working in me, I give my all till I'm out. And then I'm back in your presence, contemplating with you, relaying praise to my king. I'm so elated with you because I want to stay high, Lord, inflated with you, anoint me to do the work I was created to do. I'm all yours. (laughs) The work is the Lord's, and we're going to get into it. So my name is Kambui, and uh, I'm going to put a slide up here that really helps you to see how that name is pronounced, because it says K-A-M, and I know we're in America. If you were in Kenya, you probably know 25 Kambuis, but you're not. And so uh, how many of you, by a show of hands, have met another Kambui? Anyone? All right. So it's you have. Oh, I was about to say, whoa, it's first time. I've actually never been in a room with another, another Kambui. I've never ever... A lot of you guys, maybe if you have a name similar to mine, I've never been in a school with another person with my name. Not, I'm not sure I've ever been in a city with another person with my name. Um, and so this name has meant a lot to me, but it has been uh, at times fun and at times not fun at all. Um, Kambui... It's pronounced like dot com Bui. I have to say that because people, I'll meet them, and they'll say, hey, what's your name? I say, Kambui. And then they say, oh, Kambui? I'm like, I, I don't think I said that. That's not what I said. But we're going to go with it, huh? All right. And what happens is, if, if, let's imagine, I'm sure so, I appreciate Pastor David, because a lot of times I'll get on a stage and a pastor will introduce me. This is an influential person, right? And they'll get up in front of 100 people, 200, 500,000 people, whatever, and they'll say, hey, I want to introduce you to Kambui. Guess what? Now everyone, that's what i become. So I thought I'd just come up here and start it this way. Kambui actually means something. This name is uh, a name from the Kikuyu tribe in Kenya, and it means unafraid. It means fearless or without fear. It actually means to move Without being inhibited by fear. Okay? Um, when I was a kid, for the first 10 years of my life, I was surrounded by a community that really did appreciate my name. So I was very proud of my name. I was unafraid. And so I, I kind of wear that name with pride in a sense of that it is not everyone who gets to have a wild name like mine. And God chose, He said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna shape you with this name. And so I do it. So today I'm unafraid to tell you this thing I'm unafraid to tell you that I am a living, breathing, long shot, straight-up long shot. I shouldn't be here. Now, the truth is, we all are, but more and more, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing how God was orchestrating some things long before I had any idea who he was, even any idea who I was, and God was doing his thing. And I know that given the circumstances of my life and what it looked like from the outside, I was a long shot to living long, to being, to, to making it past 25, I was a long shot. I was a long shot to being um, sober um, and to be able to live sober like I am now. I was a long shot. I was a long shot to be able to have a family and to be married and to have a... Um, a, 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 a witness to have God shining through my home and my neighborhood. Who, who would have thought that? That's wild. I was a long shot to even graduate high school. If I go through my life, I'll tell you how many things. We just don't have time. But there was a time when I had absolutely no value for my life. And now I know to live as Christ and to die as gain. I say it's progress for me to be at this place to where I'm able to just say, hey, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a long shot. The reason it's progress is because I used to despise the fact that I was a long shot. I used to be feel like there's someone that fought for this. It's not fair. And I tell you what I mean. I, 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 my family was from the Northeast, Philadelphia and the area of New Jersey outside of Philadelphia, across that Ben Franklin Bridge. And so we, my parents, when I was young, moved us to California and left all of our family. And when I talk about all of our family, my mom and dad both have massive families. Massive families. So I was always surrounded by cousins and and, and aunts and uncles and grandparents, great-grandparents even. And when we would have family get-togethers, I mean, there was food everywhere, there was music, there was joy, there was craziness. It was a whole mix of it, right? When we left to go to California, all of that quiet, all of that went away. And I didn't realize how much, as a very young kid, I didn't realize how much that made me feel confident. I didn't know, I didn't realize how much that made me feel like I had a sort of a springboard in life until it was not there. I moved to California in a city called East Palo Alto. And uh, my mother was in education. That's the reason we moved. She was, um, she had been um, leading in some private schools which were established in underserved communities in Philadelphia and in Trenton, and um, she did so well. She went to D.C. for a while. They said, you know what? We're doing a partnership with Stanford University. Let's go ahead and get you guys out in California. That's how I ended up there, but when I went during the time I went to East Palo Alto, it was about the time that uh, crack cocaine hit East Palo Alto. Now, if I were to paint the picture of East Palo Alto, it's right next to a city named Palo Alto. Don't get them confused. Very different very different. So Palo Alto is where Stanford University is. Palo Alto has a lot of houses that when I was young, I would um, confuse for the White House. What separated East Palo Alto and Palo Alto, two different cities, was Highway 101, okay? You cross the highway, go over the overpass. In fact, there was one section where the only thing that separated was a creek that was shorter than this room, a little little, over...look and walk over the creek, And you would literally go from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous to The Roaches Don't Run When You Come Out, just like that. There was no grocery store. There was no bank. There were uh, no high school. We got bussed out. None of our parents' jobs were in our town. There was no economic, you know, commerce. There was nothing there. It was just... Some folks who love a town, and you, wherever you're from, that's what you love, right? And so everybody was from there. Their family was from there. Their cousins was from there. Everybody was deep, and I was alone, and I was trying to figure out how to make it work. With drugs comes money. With money comes violence and all of the territory stuff, and that's the environment in which I grew up while my mother was doing her best to make sure that it didn't consume me. Um, my mother and my father for a season. But then they split. I'm 10 years old when I got the news that my whole world just fell apart. If there was any shred of confidence I had, it was in two things. Because, again, I told you, we weren't believers. It was in that my parents loved me, and they loved each other, right? And it was in the community that they put me around. Well, in about four months, that went away, as well as the community that they had built around that school. The school shut down. Everyone spread. There was issues. And all of a sudden, I was thrust into public school. And when I went to public school, they tested me on the way in, and they put me in two grades ahead of what my age level was. And so I'm two years under. Everyone got to understand, already at that age, this is me at uh, eight years old, nine years old. Um, All the girls were taller than me. All the boys were taller than me. All of the third graders were taller than me. I was in fifth grade, long shot. If I was gonna compete on the sports field, I had to work extra hard. If I was gonna make it home from the bus stop, I had to run extra fast. And at some point I got tired of the disrespect and I looked at my name and I said, I'm fearless. I'm not gonna back down to anybody. And so I interpreted the meaning of my name as I never back down from a fight. And I needed to make sure That in this jungle, y'all understand that I'm not going to be a gazelle anymore. And so that's the path that I sat out on. And how many of y'all know that path don't lead anywhere good? Um, I made it my commitment to make a name for myself. I I felt like, you know what, they're going to stop talking mess about Kambui. Y'all, I heard every name in the book. And mind you, I didn't help them. I was short. I was mostly ashy. I didn't have any stylish clothes. My hair was never quite shaped right. I mean, I didn't make it easy. My parents used to shop at the, at the grocery store for clothing. It's, it was rough. So it was easy to pick on me when I was young. Um, and I had no brothers. I had a sister, who you might meet a little bit later if you're here. Um, but I said, you know what, I'm going for the thing. The thing about life for me was I never was the best at anything. Now, mind you, I was pretty solid because I worked hard. I was driven, y'all. I was so driven to be great. I was so driven to get respect. I was so driven to make sure nobody else treated me wrong. I didn't want to be vulnerable to anyone, so I was going for it, and, and, and I always was pretty good. I was always on the team, but never the best. I was always in the vicinity of greatness, but not quite, and so that, that was sort of where I was. It wasn't mediocre because I never would like slack. I just wasn't extremely gifted. And I felt kind of like uh, a guy named Derek Fisher. And the reason I bring up Derek Fisher is because Derek Fisher, if you are not familiar with him, he is a, uh, a retired NBA basketball player. And he played for my team, the Los Angeles Lakers. And so at the time that I grew up, I, I came up on, you know, Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all those guys, right? But that was like my parents' team. At some point, this dude who was like my age came to the team. It was Kobe Bryant. And so Kobe Bryant was like, oh, man, that's my new favorite player. And I loved Kobe, and we had Shaq already, and he was going down. And so we built this team that eventually became great. Well, Derek Fisher came at the same time as Kobe, but, you know, Derek Fisher was just a guy. He was just there. You know, he was just dribbling the ball, passing to one of the good players. And so um, we found ourselves, though, trying to win another championship, and we had bought, like, a bunch of stars. A lot of times you think if you're going to win, you got to bring in the big superstars. You think that if it's going to work, it's got to be because we got these big names. We got people who have made a name for themselves. So the Lakers went out and, and, and added to Shaquille O'Neal, the giant, added to Kobe Bryant, the legend. We added Karl Malone, who had the second most points in the history of the NBA. We also added Gary Payton, who they called the glove for his defense. He was from Oaktown out in our area. So I was like, oh, we're winning for sure because we got the big names. And we went to the playoffs, and we came up against a team um, in the West, um, and this team was the Spurs from San Antonio. And they had some stars that they only had, like Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and those kind of guys. And there was a scene in that, in that, um, that, that that game, game five, actually, in the playoffs, we're talking about high pressure. The stakes are way up there. Game five is the turning point in the series. This team, for the last six years, it was either San Antonio or the Lakers that was winning, right? And so here we are trying to go back and do our thing. And we have this moment where Tim Duncan gets the ball and does this crazy turnaround. And I don't know, he didn't look at the basket. He just made this shot And he made it at the end of the game, those game winners that basically sink your heart. And I remember watching at home when that ball went through. And I hated Tim Duncan because he was just like the Joker is today, extremely good, but with no emotion. He's just like, yeah, this is easy. Wow. And so we did that. And then it was only 0.4 seconds left. Now, how many of y'all remember what happened after that? Anybody remember any basketball fans? Okay, so 0.4 seconds is just not a lot of time. I'm going to use my, I'm flexing my advanced math skills. That's less than half a second. So... (laughs) Not a lot of time. We had to pass the ball in from out of bounds. Someone had to catch the ball, and they had to get a shot off. Now, in basketball, the ball has to be away from your hands before the time runs out, or else it doesn't count. Up until that point, nobody had ever been able to do that. And so we didn't know it was possible. Let me show you this picture here. That guy in the corner over there, that's Derek Fisher, shooting the ball. He ran over here caught the ball, and the moment he caught it, just came up and let it go. He left-handed, so he busted like that, right? And he shot it over a Hall of Famer. Now, if you look at this picture, you got Shaq, you got Malone, you got Duncan, you got Robert Ory with all his rings, you got Kobe Bryant, and the person making this incredible shot is Derek Fisher. Talk about a long shot. He was not the guy that they put all the attention on. No one expected that he was getting the ball, And how could he expect that he was going to make it? And that always inspired me. And so when I was young, I started saying, you know what, if anybody doubts me, I don't care. I'm going to make it. And I want to talk to you today about the difference between the way I was viewing a long shot and what I've learned from God. See, I knew everybody was against me. I knew that everybody was counting me out. Every time I would go to a sports team, they would say, man, you know, you ain't gonna get no playing time. How you gonna be five foot two thinking you're gonna be a starting strong safety? I had to move school so many times, I kept getting in trouble. So every time I went to a new school, I wasn't part of the crew. So everybody there was like, nah, man, you never starting over Brewer. There's no way you starting over Johnny. And I'm like, man, come on, man. Y'all always against me, watch this. And I would work and work and work. I was driven, man. I used to play John Madden football all day. I really did. I used to pause it. I would practice, run a play, pause it, and go back. And they used to let you in the video game, like go and focus on one player. And then I would watch what that player did. And I would understand that, okay, the left tackle was coming over here and taking out this uh, defensive uh, tackle over here. And this right guard is running up. And so I understood how plays work. And I was like, I'm just going to get better and better and better. And I did, however. I never did satisfy. I was a long shot and I was trying to make a name for myself. What was lacking for me is purpose. Now, I think you'll understand this, everybody wants to make their life count for something. You don't want to live a life that doesn't count. I'm talking everyone in here, everyone everywhere. Unless something's been distorted along the way as far as our, 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 our esteem of ourselves, we want our life. And even when we don't think our life amounts for much, we wish it did. That's why we watch so many shows on TV of somebody else who made their life count for something. We admire people because it's like, man, they had it and they did something with it. And that could, that could be me or that could have been me or whatever the case is. And so the thing about it is I did not have purpose. I didn't have purpose. I was running from something. I was running from the disrespect. I was running from the, the sense of being a nobody. I was running from being vulnerable, but I didn't have a purpose. Now, purpose, I would say, it, it's, you can describe it as meaningfulness, a meaningfulness in life, that I exist for a reason, and the things I spend my life for is actually building towards something. I didn't have that. And in life, we all should have that, but you do have to be careful, especially when you're young. Young people, you got to be careful. But We all do, actually. We have to be careful of a, a false meaningfulness. And now, what do I mean when I say false meaningfulness? I mean those things that appear to really have a great deal of meaning in the moment, and they take so much attention. They require so much attention. They compel you to overinvest. And then as time goes on, you look back and you're like, man, that actually didn't mean as much as I thought it did. Let me give you an example. When I was young, I, had, I bought like a brand new um, Cobra Mustang. And I'll just tell you, I was not in a financial position that that was a wise decision. I was 18 years old and I was like, oh, I'm about to have the dopest car. And I got my, I got my, my Mustang because my friend had a Mustang and he had a 5.0 and I was like, I'm just going to go to the next level. Because I always wanted to, you know, be that guy, and um, this thing—I put these massive rims on it, and I also changed the exhaust, and I put this sweet sound system in there. And I wanted to make sure that it was clear that this guy did not go halfway when it came to his ride. I overinvested, and then in one moment, a truck hit my car, and it was gone. And the insurance I got for it didn't come close to what I put into it. And it was just like that. I was like, man, that was a lot for nothing. And so I got a scraper after that. But the point is that false meaningfulness, and that's what I meant when I said I'm pursuing the wrong thing. I was I was going after it. I knew I was a long shot, but I was running after the wrong thing. And so here's the thing about not having meaningfulness. Um, you, you can... You can search for it in a lot of places. So some of us will find it in our job. Your vocation might might put you in a position where you can say, man, this is really meaningful. But if you're making staples for a living, then you might not feel that way. And so maybe it's not in your vocation. And some of you say, well, it's because I am am, uh, in the life stage that I'm in. I'm a, a mother or father. And that's great because there's meaningfulness in that but that alone is not enough either. Even on Father's Day, I'm going to say this. That alone is not enough, and I'm not going to undervalue the importance of being a father. It means everything, right? But what I'm saying is that's separated from the purposes of God. You can get all twisted up, and you can, you can say, oh, man, I didn't do it perfectly. Oh, man, I made some mistakes, and just bounce and be missing, You can get off track. You can drift away from the the, the real thing that God might be doing. So, no matter what it is we search for in life to try to find meaningfulness, it usually, if it's separated from God, it will leave us empty. So, somebody said, I wanna get success. I wanna get a house. I wanna have a car. I I wanna live different than my parents live. Or, I wanna live exactly as my parents did. I wanna take it to the next level. Whatever the thing that we're pursuing, if it's not God, we know, hey, I'm going for it. I get this long shot thing. Nobody thinks I can make it, but I'm going to make it. But if it's not aligned with God's purposes, then we're going to find ourselves investing a lot for nothing. And here's what ends up happening. We start to give way, when we reach that disappointment, we start to give way to some some real ugly thinking. Some thoughts like this. Maybe, after all, perhaps I'm not meant for anything special. Maybe that my story doesn't matter as much as the stories of other people. With that disappointment, maybe we start entertaining these ideas that that no one cares about me. Perhaps I shouldn't care either. Maybe I shouldn't be looking after other people and I should just be looking after myself. Maybe I should just do me. Maybe this whole thing is, is a big farce and I better just get mine while I can. Maybe my choices, my decisions don't matter. And I'm talking to you about something that I walked through myself, and I found myself, like I told you earlier, having very little value for my own life. When everything fell apart, I kept spiraling in this stinking thinking, finding my way, uh, chasing all this stuff, and still not getting what I wanted. And I got to the point where I was like, man, I don't even care if I live or die. So, of course, I was out there, and I'm doing these things that people in my neighborhood do. And I was like, I'm not scared. And I took my name and said, I'm fearless. I'll do anything. You want me to fight this big dude? I'll fight him. This dude who I know got, I was going to say got bodies. This dude who was, who's done some things and didn't get caught and arrested, but we all know, I'll fight him. Why? Because I didn't value my life. I would go do stupid things like run into the wrong, you know, the wrong part of town. Our neighborhood was only two and a half square miles. It was easy to run over there. But I'd go to the other part of town and... uh. I would get a bunch of rocks and throw it at the window of some dudes who were known for, uh, they were affiliated, and I'd wait for them to come out and see me by myself, and then I'd just run. And I was like, I got to get to my side of town before they catch me, and they ain't coming out there with heat. And it's only God's grace that I'm alive today, because I was on some stupid stuff. I used to play lanes. I don't know if anybody, I hope nobody here knows what lanes is. It's not a good thing. But I used to basically, we had a highway one-on-one. It was a five-lane freeway. And I used to always tell my friends, I bet I'll cross the lane and come back. Cross the lane, ah, come back. I bet I'll cross two lanes. Cross two lanes. We used to walk down from the catwalk down. I was just lost. This thing led me all the way to a point where I found myself in a courtroom. And I was facing seven counts with assault with a deadly weapon. And 13 counts of conspiracy to commit assault. Now, of course, it sounds worse than it is. This actually resulted from a fight at school. Um, but the, the the circumstances behind it were just kind of a perfect storm because we were getting busted into a rich neighborhood called Atherton, and they were tired of having all of these ghetto kids come to their school. And so I became the case that was going to be the political fodder for this thing to get changed. And so they, they made a big, kind of a like big thing out of this fight that I had. It was all in the news, and I, I didn't even realize you can get arrested for fighting up until that point. And um, I, did, I had been trained in martial arts, so I didn't realize either that if you are trained in martial arts, every time you hit a person, it's, assault, it's an assault with a deadly weapon. I was like, I didn't have any weapons. <laughs> Nevertheless, I was in front of a judge and it was a bad fight. I was in front of a judge, and uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, three strikes and you're out just came out. These are all felonies. I had a little, little something before that too. So I was looking at spending a good deal of my life behind bars, and um, God intervened. And let me rewind the story just for a second, and then we're going to get to what the Word says about it. I want to rewind the story... When I was, I got kicked out of one school in seventh grade and I went to another school and, uh, at the end to start, uh, to finish seventh grade and then eighth grade. And this school was like the bad school. <laughs> it's like I, I really should have stayed where I was. So now I'm on the wrong side of town. Remember I told you about the other side of town, what I used to do things? So I'm over there now. Um, and each day was a battle. And so one time, a teacher, it was a Jewish man named Mr. Applebaum, he said, Hey man, I see you rapping a lot. Who's your favorite rapper? And I said, you know what, uh, I don't think you understand. I don't think you want to know about my favorite rappers. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I just want to know. I just don't know. I don't understand all the lyrics, but tell me. I was like, you know, I love Rakim. I love Pac. You know, and he was like, all right, so check it out. Come to my class at lunchtime. And he said, I want you to teach me the lyrics of your favorite song and make sure I understand the lyrics. And then I'll teach you the lyrics of my favorite uh, rapper, he called it. And I was like, "A word, all right, let's do it. Because I didn't want to be outside on the yard because it was rough out there. And so I went into his classroom, and I'm talking to you about this, to talk about what it means for somebody to be living in their moment, living in their purpose. And this was a a, a man who was a believer. He probably doesn't know the impact he had on me. But I went into his class that day, and I explained the lyrics to Brenda's Got a Baby. And um, he was like, man, where are you? He's like, dude, he's good. I get it. I understand that. And he says, now, are you ready for mine? And he starts explaining this. His favorite MC was uh, William Shakespeare. And he taught me how to understand William Shakespeare's writings. And I was like, yo, brother's code. He's kind of nice with it, right? And so <laughs> I start actually going to his class every day during lunchtime. And then he put on a little production with me and a couple of other guys. And we did Shakespeare. And I was in my first Shakespeare play in eighth grade. From there, I went to a summer program. The summer program was for, remember I told you I'm two year, I'm two grades ahead. I was socially in trouble, but academically it wasn't an issue. So I go to this gifted program in the summertime, and they had us do Shakespeare again. And the person who ran that program was so shocked at how into Shakespeare I had become. The dude gave me a big book like this, with all of Shakespeare's plays in it. So I was just eating it up. And so... Fast forward, now I'm in court, and I'm facing all of these charges, and God showed his grace to me. We weren't believers at the time, but this woman who I did not realize had so much clout. She was a friend of my mother. She actually ran the program for gifted students as I was in, and she wrote a letter to the judge. I didn't know I knew people who could write letters to judges. I, I wasn't accustomed to being connected to a power like that. And so she wrote a letter to the judge and said, this is not a life you throw away. And she compelled him to uh, amend all of the charges to misdemeanors, which changed my life. That woman was Condoleezza Rice. That was my mom's friend back in East Palo Alto. They were doing that partnership at Stanford University. I didn't even know who Condoleezza Rice was going to be. She was just Auntie Condi, right? Because of that, I got, I got moved out of the county of San Mateo to Santa Clara. And when I got there, I met my best friend, who is my brother today. And he introduced me to his best friend. And in order to hang out with them, I had to go to church. I had no interest in church, but I went to church so I could be in a community of people that let me belong Before I believed, and that sense of belonging was this. I didn't have to beat anybody up. I didn't have to fight. They didn't, they just accepted me. And so I just wanted to hang out with them because I was actually a peaceful person inside, and I was tired of this duality. I didn't want any more of it. God began to change my story and redeem it, and I began to find purpose. I'm still finding my purpose. I was looking for my personal purpose, and God instructed me to look at our collective purpose. And this is how He used it. He took me to Genesis, He took me to the beginning. He took me to his word. And so as I became a believer, it was six months after meeting these guys, I became a believer. They used to, every time we would get in the car, they would read a psalm and they'd read a, read a proverb. And I was like, all right, okay, I'll, I'll endure this. I don't really get it. Some of it made sense, but some of it really didn't. And um, eventually they gave me my own Bible. And I read Genesis 1, and I saw it in the beginning. And they start talking about creation. And I was like, well, now, hold up, wait a second now. I don't see nothing about dinosaurs. What's going on? Because at that time, I thought that I was pretty intellectual. And I was like, you know what? You're not going to pull this wool over my eye. In fact, I was taught my whole life that this is for people who need this. And so I, I, I might believe there's a God, but I don't know if I believe all this stuff. But, and then people used to tell me, hey, you know what? Just skip this. Just go to John because John is a book full of love. And that's weird to me. It's not only weird because when I read John, I'm like, man, Jesus is a gangster. If you read John, he says some hardcore stuff. In the book of John, he's like, hey, the reason you don't get it is because you're doing what your daddy wants you to do. Your daddy's the devil. And I'm like, oh, whoa, that wasn't nice, right? <laughs> I don't know why people paint John like it's all soft like that. But Genesis, to skip over that, you skip the, 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 the place where we find out who we are. I want to talk about Genesis for a moment. I'm going to pull out my, my little digital Bible. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Go ahead and pull it out, and we're going to um, examine what God is saying here. So, of course, you know that in Genesis, it starts with this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The most important thing that you got to know here is that this account is for the purposes of building a framework for our relationship with God and and for us to have a faith in, in who He is as our Father, and our maker. And so everything in history is not meant to be included to this. There may be all kind of other things that were happening, but that wasn't important to the foundation of faith. And that's kind of how you have to understand this part of Scripture. However, the essentials in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's Lord of all. Somebody say, He's Lord of all. At this point, verse 2 tells us that the earth was without form. It was formless, and it was empty, meaning there was a sense of, uh, there was no organization. There was, no, there was nothing that was put into its right place, and it was empty in the sense that I don't believe that there was a, a sense of meaningfulness there. Anybody ever felt emptiness, lots of activity, but, no, but nothing of meaningfulness, right? And so here we see the whole earth formless and empty, and then we see that darkness covered the deep waters. Darkness has in the Bible often represented symbolically a a lack of understanding. We see it as evil, but even evil by extension is a lack of knowledge of God. Darkness, in darkness, what do you do? You grope, and you guess, and you hope, but you hope on something that ain't Christ. It's darkness. Darkness. And so at this point, there was no form, there was no meaningfulness, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves, we're in the darkness, but then the Spirit of God is this introduction of this presence. The Spirit of God was still moving upon the waters. And I'm so glad to know and I'm glad to remind you today that when you are in a place in your life where you feel like that things have not been set up the way you think they should be set up, when you feel like you are in a place where there's there's not a sense of meaningfulness and purpose, and when you feel like that you're groping, wondering what is the deal, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God is moving to set you up well. And if you ever forget, you got to go back to Genesis. Don't skip this book. Verse 3, what happens is God starts saying some things. It's probably about 11 to 15 times from here on out. God said, God said, God said, God said, said, and then God said this, and then God saw it was this, and then God said that. What is it saying to us right here? That when God says something, something happens. God's word kind of matters, don't it? Absolutely. He first started saying, let there be light. So there was darkness. There was a lack of understanding, and let's be humble it's not fun being in a place where you don't understand. But what do we do when we don't understand? A lot of times we will not be humble and we won't say, God, show me. What we'll do is make up our own meaning. We'll say, hey, does anybody else in the darkness know what's up? I think it should be this. All right, I'm going to roll with you then. Now nah, let's just argue back and forth. But rarely do we say, God, show us. But God showed us here that he wants to us to have light, understanding, let there be light. And when we have light, God says what? It is good. Now, he's going to go through a whole lot of more creation right here. I'm not going to read all of this, but he starts creating all kinds of things. And he creates things by speaking it. And then he speaks to things that he created and has those things bring forth other things. And he's always like, okay, I made this, Now I'll take this and make it that, and I'll take this and make it that. And he does this a lot of times, and he keeps on saying it's good. The first thing I want to pull out to you today is if you didn't know, God, that the gospel of Jesus does not start with God being mad at you, how many knows that? The gospel of Jesus does not start with sin. The beginning of the gospel is that the Lord of all made you, and he said, oh, It's good. The beginning of the story is that he loves you. The beginning of the story is that he has something in mind when he made you. And when God gets his mind on something, he's not just giving up on it like that. We got to remember this. So I'm going to pull out a few truths here that I want you to understand. When we talked about the Spirit of God hovering over the water, you would think that when things are with formless and empty, that the Holy Spirit might want to go somewhere else. He could have chilled out in heaven. Heaven is set up right. What was he doing down here? First thing I want you to see is this. Boom, throw it up here. The next one. Oh, the key point, actually, give me the first key point. This is my fault, y'all. They're killing it back there. That's my bad. I put my slides all in the wrong order. I'm going to just tell you what it is. God does not shy away from a hot mess. Somebody say amen. God does not shy away from a hot mess. I'm telling you that God is not afraid of your situation no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how dysfunctional it might seem, no matter how out of order, no matter how you had it and messed it up. Anybody ever had something going the right way and messed it up? Am I the only one in here? I hope it's two of us. All right, me and you. Praise God. Okay. Anybody got set up for success and still blew it? Anyone been saved? And God has has given us His grace, His truth, and you still messing up? The Holy Spirit's not running the other direction. He's not afraid of your hot mess. Let's go to verse 26. Verse 26 says, God said, let us make man in our image. Later on, that awesome book, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh, dwelt with us. That's Jesus, y'all. So he's saying, and you know the spirits there. So now you got the Father, you got the Spirit, you got the Son. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Why? Be- there's a reason. That's why you get to sow that. Aren't you glad about the sow that? If you forget to sow that, you might get you might do like I was doing and start chasing all kind of random purposes. But there's a reason we were made the way we were made. There's a reason why God didn't didn't say, Hey, why don't we let the firmament bring forth Tasha, a Makai. Let me let the animals bring forth. No. He said, okay, I've been doing that, and that's good. I like all that I've been doing. It's real good. But yet, this time, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, because so that they can rule over all of the things that I just created. Let's go to the next slide. So God created mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the seas and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He says, I need to do something different when I make man. In fact, this time, I'm going to actually use my hands. I'm going to make it intimate. I'm going to put my hands in the dirt. Now, he spoke life over us, but he also put his hands in the dirt and shaped us. And he also breathed into us. Very intimate. You really can't, you can't be more intimate than breathing in somebody. But it's because he's, he made us for a reason. Now, I want to point a few things out as we come to a close here. You were built different. Now, a lot of people say that in a sense of pride. I'm built different. We built different out here, right? You see guys on the football field. We built different over here at the U. Facts are we were built different, all of us. And here's what you need to know about being di- built different. It was because there's a purpose. And the purpose here is that it's really, it's, it's, it's hard for you to rule the way God called you to rule. Or how, how about I say this? It, it really is not, who's ever led something? Anyone ever been like a leader in your, in your job or your community, or even your family, right? Okay, so imagine you're the leader of your family. How, how well can you do that when you're not home at present, when you're never there? Not so good, right? So I went 10 years without my dad in my life. He was not leading our family at that time. I've worked for companies. I've had bosses that are hardly ever there. They were not leading our company. So what rulership takes, and let's go to that next slide. Here's what I want you to see. Ruling is not a passive act. It takes a persistent presence and power. And here's the thing. God is in heaven, seated on the throne. And now his spirit is, was here on earth, right? But his spirit is also invisible, And so there has to be a presence. The good God that created all things and put all things in order that were once not in order, he did all that, right? But then he said, I'm not going to just be sitting in this garden all day. I got to be back on the throne. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make y'all in my image. And they will be reminded of me when they see you. They will know that there's a good God who has provided. They will know that there's a God of peace. They will know who I am because they have you here to remind them. So you can't can't just, like, think you can be off in heaven and earth is going to be okay because it won't be, and he he knew that. So he made a plan. He said, I'm going to reveal myself through you all. You might say, well, me? Us? You see what happened, God. Look at me. You know what I get down with. And he says, I do. And that's why it's going to work. Because you're a long shot. You're a long shot. They're going to know that I'm good because of you. He blesses them and he says, Be fruitful. You see, because fruitfulness, it multiplies the presence, right? And it multiplies the power. It's like a reverberating message. When people see us in our fruitfulness, and I don't mean that our fruitfulness is always in excellence. I mean, sometimes we like to always be crushing it, but sometimes our fruitfulness is in um, the struggle and how by the strength of God we get back up. Sometimes the fruitfulness is in our weakness and how we boast in His greatness and people see His faithfulness. Amen? You were made to be evidence of God's goodness not your own goodness. You were made to be the evidence of God's goodness and his presence on the earth. What should happen at this point is that people should say, "Huh. That's pretty that's pretty good, but it ain't you, it must be God. It must be God. Because I know you and I know me and I know us and I know how it normally goes." that's different. It must be God. I got one scripture that I want to show you here. It says, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, this is from Galatians chapter 5. Most of you have heard this, some of you haven't. If not, this is talking about the work of the Spirit of God in our life. So when the Spirit of God is putting in work, this is what comes out of his work. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things, right? That's what the Word of God says. Now, what I need you to understand is we have heard this many times, and we said, here's the fruit of the Spirit. I know that I'm walking with God because you can see the fruit of the Spirit, and that's true. But what we don't want to do is think that the fruit of the Spirit actually belongs to us. It doesn't. It's not like it's mine. I don't even know how to create righteousness. What am I going to do? What I create is disappointment. I disappoint myself. I know I disappoint y'all. But here's the deal. We talk about love. Guess who it is? God is love. Okay? Let's run to the next one. We're going to run this whole thing down. Just keep pulling them out. The joy, it's of the Lord. You ever heard the joy of the Lord is our strength? So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy, that's all of the Lord. Let's keep going. It is His peace that surpasses all understanding and can guard our hearts and minds. Let's keep going. His love is patient. You've been to a wedding. You heard that before, right? Next up. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Only God, as Jesus says, only God is good. So His goodness And he is the gentle one that is powerful enough to take on our yokes and give us rest for our souls. And he is the one who was tempted in every way and did not sin. Talk about self-control. The bottom line is the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is most clearly revealed through the lives of long shots. So when I talk to you about me being a long shot and how it used to frustrate, I used to resent it, now I say, God, I'm so glad that you did not allow me to be fooled into thinking that this thing works because of me, that you keep me in positions in life where the only way that anything good comes out of this is if you do it, God. As a matter of fact, if people know where I'm broken and then they see any goodness come out of me, they're going to say, oh, man, I know Bowie, It ain't him, that must be God. So I can be used as an instrument that would remind people of the goodness of God. So I can boast even in my weakness because in it you'll see how good God is. You are the long shot that God has in mind for something in your sphere of influence. You're the one that he wants to use. I'm talking to you, the broken one. The one who keeps on messing up. You're the one that God wants to use. I want you to hear that and receive it. You are the one that will reveal the goodness of God in your situation. I hear a couple of amens. There should be more, though. There should be more. If you really understand this, I got a question for you. What's the best thing you ever made with your hands or your mind? I really want you to talk back. Something you made. Anybody make something good? You cook, you make music, anybody made a song? food. You make some food, Raph? What you make, brother? Anybody ever had any of his food? Yes. It legit? Yes. Okay. Right, 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 right. Okay. I just had to check. So I, I once made, um, uh, a couple years ago for Mother's Day, I made a table for my wife. And it's a beautiful table, right? I think so myself. And you might say, man, how are you going to call your own table beautiful? Because I got something in common with God. When God makes something, he says, oh, it's good, right? And so if you were working hard on something, whether it was your intellectual property or something you built with your hands, something you made in the kitchen, have anyone ever made a, a dish, Raph? You probably did. You said, man, I put my foot in that right there, right? Oh, you, you get that spoon out and you, ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Okay, I killed this one right here, right? You call, hey, hey, come over here, taste this. I know it ain't dinner time, but you're going to want to taste this right here because... You understand that there's a value and a power in celebrating, and that's what God does. First off, God celebrates you. Now, when you were doing it along the way, Raf, wasn't there a moment where you, ah, this ain't quite right. Was there a moment of that? And you was okay with that because you had the heat on, it was simmering, you put a little more something to this, a little something to that. You said, okay, I see what's happening here. Ah, oh, man, something got in here that wasn't supposed to be in here. I know how to do it. I can fix that too. You was in there cooking it up. God's not scared of your stuff. He's not scared. You don't go throw the whole thing away. So what's happening here is the father actually enjoys, like, being in the kitchen with you. And he wants other people to taste the dish. You're the long shot. My dad was known for something. I love my dad. If he was in here right now, I'd have to laugh because he did this all the time when I was young. He didn't, you know, he didn't go shopping until everything was gone. I mean, you know how it is. Like, there was no, uh, no, no like, automatic grocery list that just came to our house like now on Amazon. So our refrigerator would be bare, and it'd be some old, like, real tired carrots. You ever see them tired carrots that can't stand straight anymore? And some old celery and 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 some old leftovers? My dad would grab everything and start cutting it up, making stuff. I'm like, nah, ain't nobody trying to eat that. That's like two, three days old. Them them carrots is done for. Look at, they sad. And he would make a dish, and they would be banging. Because he was like, hey, everybody else thinks this is trash, but I know it's not. Must be God. Here's what I want you to know it's God's work, and just like Raph wouldn't want somebody else to come to his barbecue, take the food next door, and claim it was theirs, because he put work in that. God also does not want any of us to claim that it's ours, and that should come as good news to you because you don't have to be responsible for it to be good. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to be good. Why? Because God is all the good that this world will never need. If God and I were partnering and he added his goodness and I added my goodness, I did not improve it at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if God's coming with his goodness, I don't have to, and I'm not trying to say we should be out here reveling in some crazy stuff, right? What I'm saying is I should not be disqualifying myself because I'm not good enough. I should not be saying, listen, when I got the call to ministry, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was on tour with Dr. Ron Cannoli. I was sitting in a hotel on a break, and I remember praying and hearing God say to me that I should change course from what I was doing, which was playing football in college, and I was ready to do my thing. I had already had my freshman year and I was ready to go forward. And he said, no, change course, I want you to go into the ministry. And I was like, uh, I don't think that's what I heard. And then so I'm praying and I hear it again. I know I'm hearing from God when it's exactly the opposite of what I really want to do in my flesh. I had no desire to work for a church. My literal answer to God was send Carlos Miras. If Carlos Miras were to listen to this recording right now, He was a a guy who volunteered in the youth ministry when I volunteered there. And I thought he was set up well to be a guy that could step into ministry. He's the kind of guy God could use. I literally told the God of heaven and earth who took formless and nothingness and made all of the stuff we see today, I told him, I don't think you got the right guy here. Part of it was an excuse because I didn't want to have to step up to the plate because I've made it all about me. You don't have to be good. This is the last thing I'm saying to you today. When I go to Philadelphia, where my dad lives, next week I'll get a little bit more into that story, but my dad and I, we had a strained relationship for a long time, and right now we are very close. God is so good. 10 years of brokenness uh, and formative years for me. And then uh, the Lord led us to a beautiful relationship now that continues to grow. But when I go visit him in Philadelphia, Sometimes I run into some of his friends. Once I get into West Philly, it's like everybody there knows my dad. And so people will come up to me, these old heads will come up to me like, hey, hey, boy, you Tony's son, ain't you? What you mean? Ah, oh, you, you must be Tony's son. You must be his son. I can tell you look just like him. And it happened like three or four times every time I go there. Somebody, some neighbor, some block I'm on will be like, ah, oh, hey, 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 you Tony's son? Yeah. And I actually feel kind of proud when that happens. A lot of times I was disconnected. I was all the way in California, you know what I mean? And then me and my dad didn't live together. I feel like I'm not a part of all that. But when I go home and they say, hey, I don't really know you, but I can tell your father is all over you. That always means a lot to me. In the same way it is with my father in heaven, with our father in heaven. I love a scene and it is an ugly scene, but it was some beauty that got revealed. You got our savior Jesus on the cross. And he is dying for all of the world. Everyone who would ever have faith in him would be redeemed because of this act right here. And he's up there getting tortured and abused and spat on and insulted and everything that should never happen to him that should be happening to me, should be happening to you. It's happening to him for our sake. And he's up there and he is not doing what I would have done. He's not jumping off the cross. He's not saying a little private curse in his head to make somebody never like be able to swallow again. you like, this kind of things that you would do if you had all the power. Oh, your tongue, you like to say stuff, huh? Watch this. Now your tongue don't work, right? But he's not doing what I would do. He's my hero. That's why he's your hero. If, you, if you're not sure about Christ today, read that account. It was like, you got to understand that, that what happens next blew my mind. He did die. And when he died, like the earth shook and all that stuff. And a lot of people think that it's because of the earth shaking that the, the thing that I'm about to tell you happened. But I think it's because of what was witnessed before that. There's a guy who was given responsibility. Now, he belongs to a Roman empire. He's led by the emperor of Rome. He's there on authority. Rome is there with their thumb on the, on the or their knee on the neck of the Hebrews. Like, they, they're not friends. They don't have a lot of respect for the Hebrews either. They're there to keep them in control. And so, they're not, he's overseeing this crucifixion, and he's been there all day. They beat the man down for a long time. Our Savior took it for us. And the way he watched Jesus go through all of that, he probably seen a whole lot of people be crucified before. It's probably not his first time around. And they probably go down cussing and and just, just cursing God and all kind of stuff. And the way he saw our Savior, this man who was not a Hebrew, he's not a man of faith, he's not that guy, but he says, this must be the Son of God. It must be. I believe that God's calling us to live in such a way that we are a witness to the goodness of God. We are a witness in our struggle, in our victory. Your pastor here, he's a witness. The Jones family, they're a witness. And you might say, oh, yeah, because they're the pastors. Hey, guess what? I don't know who would admit it, but whatever one of you think you're the most broken in here, you're a witness. And they're going to say, if it were Mr. Super Heart guy who always loves everyone... If it were that guy who we all expect to be super generous cuz he's a billionaire, if we or just he's just living in the best neighborhood with a great car, if it was this person no, if God wants to love on his neighbor and he chooses you who don't even like people, that must be God. Wait, wait, wait. If God wants to do something with the kids in your neighborhood to encourage them and he uses you who's super busy and don't have time, it must be God. Why would he use the person who ain't got no job and got plenty of time? I'm just playing. If you ain't got no job, jump in the game. But I mean is, what I mean is, that's where I say God. If I say something bad, just make it go away. Listen, what I'm saying is, God's not trying to use the obvious choice all the time. He wants to get the glory. He made the dish. He got the apron on. If he used the obvious choice, they're gonna be like, man, I love that guy. He's such a nice person. And that's where it stops. I want them saying, whew, I didn't expect to see her here. God must be doing something in her life because I know she don't like kids. Just playing, just playing, just playing. Father, help us, Lord. Help us, God, to see your glory when we look in the mirror And we see the fruit that you're doing, little buds of fruit, little small, little indicators that you're doing something that we celebrate and say, wow, that must be God, because I know that ain't me. And it's not that we're not new creatures. We were dead, and now we're alive. But you are the source of everything good and worthy, Lord. And you love a long shot, meaning you you find joy in taking a dish that's a little off course and saying, hey... Let me, let me put that apron on. I got something for this. I pray that no one in here think that this message is not for them. I pray that you would reveal how to make this practical in the lives of each one, that they would say, hey, where can I show a little bit more of your fruit, God? Whether it's showing patience this afternoon. Sometimes it might start before they get to the car. But Father, I ask, Lord, that you would indeed teach us to celebrate your love for the long shot. And that when we look at ourselves, we would say, I know God loves the long shot. And I'm going to glorify him with my life. That's my prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, y'all, thank you for uh, allowing me to come here and encourage you. And uh, have a great Father's Day, men. Have a great Father's Day. And let me just say one more thing to you, all of you. It's not just the big arenas. On your stage, your small area of influence... If you have your own children or grandchildren, or you have someone in your neighborhood that don't have anyone celebrating them, you can make a world of impact like Mr. Lippman did for me. And he doesn't know that I'm not in prison today because he taught me Shakespeare. Y'all have a good one.